Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 13, verse 10 to 16. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Paul and the team, everyone who has led us in worship so far. It's good to be with you again this morning. Um, I'm, I'm very cognizant of the fact that there is a, a tension in this season of Advent, and our choir is helpfully highlighting this tension for us because it's a tension between joy to the world and the anguish of waiting, O come, O come, Emmanuel, not quite here yet. In that tension, I'm going to admittedly lean for a couple of weeks on the anticipation and waiting side. So if you're feeling very much already in the Christmas spirit, I'm going to ask you to come back into Advent for just a little while. Our theme for these four weeks is journey through darkness. We'll unpack several different aspects of that theme through these four weeks, but as we embark on this journey, I want to start with a reminder A reminder that during this season, our scripture readings and the church's tradition speaks of three different advents, three comings, three arrivals of Christ. And each of these advents happens in a context of darkness. In our Old Testament scripture readings for this season, we're reminded of the darkness of sin and exile and oppression that Israel suffered as they waited hundreds of years for the first advent, the arrival of the Messiah, an advent that is now in our past. In our New Testament readings, we're pointed toward the second advent, Christ's return, an advent that is still in our future, in which Christ will fully and finally overcome all the powers of darkness. But the third advent of this season is a present advent. Neither past nor future, but now. It's the advent we ask for in that quintessential hymn of the season, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is the God with us, Advent, Christ coming in our lives, even today, even now, even in the darkness that often plagues our hearts and minds. 
This is why we can speak of a journey through darkness. Because Christ is with us, we can be assured that this journey does not end in darkness. But it does begin in darkness. And we must be willing to peer into that darkness and not look away precisely because Christ is with us. So today we're going to look at this short story in Luke chapter 13 with the title of Waking Up in Darkness. Waking Up in Darkness. But let us begin with this prayer. God, we walk this road with heavy burdens, grief, loss, shame, stress, exhaustion. We walk a road paved with pressures, lined with difficulties, and darkened with despair. It is a wide road, and there is plenty of company, but there is a narrow road few have found. It, too, is dark and difficult and paved with pressures. It, too, has many a grief-stricken traveler, many who know loss and shame, many whose faces bear the marks of stress and exhaustion. But on the narrow road you walk and carry our heavy load and offer us yours and never leave. Show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen. I had the honor and the burden of preaching the sermon at my grandmother's funeral three years ago. She was 93 years old when she died, and her health had been failing for some months. So it wasn't a surprise, but there never seems to be a good time to die. And death in the middle of a pandemic seemed a worse time than others. Those of you who were touched by death in your family or among your friends will know this all too well. The pandemic changed even the way we grieve. Grieving at a distance exacerbated an already dire problem for those of us who live in an age of instant gratification, of free one-day shipping, a time of idolizing happiness and self-fulfillment. When confronted with the darkness of death and loss, we see it, but then we look away. We move on too quickly, either because we have to, or because we want to, or both. The pandemic gave us even more excuse to move on from death and darkness. It even more desensitized us to it. But Advent compels us to turn our faces toward darkness and not look away. While I was preparing to 
preach at my grandmother's funeral, my brother reminded me of this story in Luke 13, where Jesus heals a woman who is, the heading in my Bible says crippled. I'm not quite sure that's the right image for us in our 21st century context. Because look at the description of this woman. She isn't crippled in the sense of being unable to walk. She could walk, but she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. This is a description of my grandmother. Because of her age, mostly, the top of her spine had begun to curve only slightly 20 years ago, but by the age of 93 before her death, she was bent over and could not straighten herself at all. Whether she was sitting or standing or walking, she was hunched over And this meant she was no longer able to look most people in the eye. Not without great pain. So all too often in those final years of her life, when I looked at her, I would meet her eyes and then look away. I would try to convince myself that it was in her best interest, that the arduous task of raising her head to look me in the eye wasn't worth it. She should rest. She shouldn't have to make that effort. So I'll look away. In reality, it was for me. I didn't want to see the slow pulling of her neck and back muscles as she tried to straighten her head to look me in the eye. I didn't want to feel the pain in her eyes. I didn't want to sit with her and hear about the pain again. And I wasn't willing to sit or kneel so that she could look me in the eye without straightening herself. I was unwilling, really, to see her. In Luke 13, we find a woman who had had this disability of being bent over for 18 years. And I can only imagine, as I could only imagine with my grandmother, the pain of walking, standing, sitting with such a condition. And then there's a tiny phrase here in this story that's easy for us to miss, but we must not miss it. In verse 12, Luke tells us, when Jesus saw her, He called her over and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your disability. Jesus saw her. In a crowd where she would have stood much shorter than everyone else, Jesus 
saw her. In a world that ignored her because her disability was incurable, Jesus saw her. In our world, where we, I at least, all too often overlook the elderly, especially those who are sick. We too often see the elderly as a burden or a nuisance in our families or in our community. Jesus sees them. And when Jesus sees you, he doesn't look away. And this isn't the only time Jesus does this. It's all over the story. In John chapter 1, Jesus is talking to Philip and Nathanael, two who would become disciples. And he says to Nathanael, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus was nowhere near that fig tree, but he saw Nathanael. In John chapter 5, Jesus saw the man lying by the pool. And in verse 6, John tells us Jesus saw him and knew he'd been lying there a long time. In Mark 10, the rich ruler comes to Jesus and asks, what must he do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, keep the commandments. And he says, all these I have done since I was a child. And then Mark 10, 21, Jesus saw him and loved him. In Luke 19, Jesus sees the city of Jerusalem and weeps for it. Even on the cross, John 19, 26, Jesus saw his mother and he loved her. And he took care of her. All these examples can be summed up by Matthew 9. Seeing the crowds, seeing the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them. For they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It starts with seeing. Jesus sees and doesn't look away. Jesus sees and he has compassion. Jesus sees and he heals. Child, you are free. Friend, give your heavy burden and I'll give you something lighter. Beloved, I am with you. There's a power in seeing and being seen, especially, especially in darkness. But our instinct is to look away. We do it in a number of ways, but they're all uh, a manifestation of our desire to deflect, to deflect the pain, to stave off the emotion, to skip to a happy ending. It's the reason we're sometimes uncomfortable with Advent. 
It's the reason Advent is countercultural. It's the answer to a question my daughter asked me just a few days ago. She said, Dad, why do all the shop decorations just skip from one holiday to the next without any time in between? We rush to the Christmas lights and the carols partly, at least partly, because we don't want to wait. Waiting is a darkness sort of activity. It's not that Christmas lights and carols are bad if you have them before midnight on December 24th. That's not the point, and the Christmas decorations are already up in my house as well. But Advent provides us a context in whatever ways we can, to remain in a posture of waiting, to recognize our brokenness, to hold at bay a surface-level sense of celebration that bubbles up around us in anticipation of something deeper, a deeper celebration. One of my favorite preachers, and Advent Advocates, Fleming Rutledge, puts it like this. Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. In... 1955, a 14-year-old African-American young man named Emmett Till was visiting family in Mississippi when he, it seems, broke the Jim Crow law of flirting with a white woman. The woman's husband and brother tracked Emmett down a few days later and proceeded to force him to carry a 75-pound cotton gin fan down to the river where they nearly beat him to death, gouged out one of his eyes, shot him in the head, strapped him to the fan, and threw his lifeless body into the river. When Emmett's body was found days later, it was unrecognizable. His uncle identified his body based solely on a, an inscribed ring that he wore on one of his fingers. The authorities and his family in Mississippi wanted to bury him right there as quickly as possible. But his mother, Mamie, insisted that his body be transported back to Chicago for a funeral. And then she insisted on an open casket funeral. So that the world would see the horror that had been inflicted on her son. Mamie Till 
looked and refused to look away. And she refused to let anyone else have the easy way out and look away. This is where Advent begins. Looking into darkness and refusing to look away. Seeing and connecting with the pain in us and around us and being willing to sit with it. One of the things we want so badly when we hear a story like Emmett Till's is we want to know what we can do to fix it. What can we do to make it right? What book can I read that would tell me the solution to this darkness and pain? How can I be a source of encouragement and hope to those who are being oppressed? These aren't bad questions. They're good questions. It's a natural response even. But if we rush out and just start trying to fix things without first taking a moment to look, see, listen, empathize, and sit in the pain and the darkness, we'll only make things worse rather than fixing them. All around us, people are being enveloped in darkness. We ourselves are being enveloped in darkness. We're frightened. We're anxious. We're despairing. We don't know what to say, and we want to say something. We hate silence. Even if you're not feeling in a place of darkness right now, the darkness is where I'm asking you to go. Or more importantly, it's where Jesus' example is pointing us to go. Too often as church, we have fancied ourselves above the darkness Lights standing at the top of a deep well of doubt and unbelief. Beckoning to those at the bottom, come up here. The light is so much better than the darkness. Come up here, we'll welcome you with open arms. Jesus did say, that his followers would be lights for the world. Jesus did say, let your light shine before others. But go where the others are. Get down in the darkness. 
and getting down in the darkness, we find Jesus is already there. Staring our darkness in the face and not looking away. We can turn our eyes to the grief around us. The loneliness that is infecting our city. The poverty and scarcity that constantly threaten. We can wake up to the darkness. Because the journey of Advent leads straight through that valley and out the other side to a light that overcomes all darkness. Let us pray. Jesus, this morning we thank you for your willingness to step into our darkness. We thank you for your willingness to go to the deepest, darkest place on the And as we turn to the table, we remember that we are proclaimers of that dark moment, proclaimers of your death, as we hope, as we peer into darkness looking for the light that dawns at your return. Be with us as we wait. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.